Apple presents events at the Apple Store. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome this evening's guest moderator, Jason Carroll from CNN. Wow, big crowd. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you. I just want to start out by saying the first time I met James Cameron, uh, he invited me out while he was still in the process of putting together Avatar. And when I got out there, we did the interview, and then he said, hey, Jason, when the interview's over, do you want to come to edit it? I said, okay, that sounds great. And then when that part was over, he said, hey, do you want to come to sound editing? <laughs> I said, yeah, that sounds great, too. That sounds great. And the one thing that we noticed, and it wasn't just me, it was my entire crew at CNN, we noticed that this was someone who wasn't just a director, he wasn't just a screenwriter, this man knew editing, he knew every part of filmmaking. And as a result, we watched everyone around him and everyone brought their A-game. Many years later, when I ended up with him on this scientific expedition, this adventure, I noticed the same thing. He was a man who noticed and knew everything about every working component of what was going on. And as a result, everyone brought their A-game. I saw that also with John Bruno, the director of this. He brought his A game, and what he was able to do, and what I saw today, and what you're about to see a clip of, is all of that passion brought to the screen. It's beautiful, it's science, it's everything. I want you to take a quick, very quick look at Deep Sea Challenge 3D. Director James Cameron is on a mission to dive to the deepest point on the planet. The voyage deep into the sea. Film director James Cameron has made history. It's 36,000 feet down. That is seven miles to the bottom. Mount Everest could fit in a trench with 7,000 feet to spare. A new record for a solo man dive. He's only the third person ever to reach the bottom of the Mariana Trench, the deepest point in the ocean. What lurks beneath captured the public's imagination with untold possibilities. This was James Cameron's most ambitious production yet. Welcome back, mate. Welcome back. I've seen some pretty astonishing things in the depths. Things that fill your soul with wonder. Cousteau said it best. He said if we knew what was there, we wouldn't have to go. Challenger Deep in the Mariana Trench is the deepest place on Earth, seven miles straight down. This is the last great frontier of our world. It's my dream to build a machine to take us there. We're actually gonna do things that the governments of the world cannot now do. We're gonna do something nobody else can do. When you dive to the bottom of the ocean, you have to face the fact that there are a hundred horrible ways to die. In the event that there is a break in the hatch, the water will bust through. And I get chummed into a meat cloud in about two microseconds. It's such an internal drive for him. He has to do it. We're so far from ready, it's not even funny. We have to pit ourselves against the elements. We've got to dive. And here we go. Moment of truth. Uh-oh, that's not good. Got a lot of failures here. We got a problem. We need to really know if it's an emergency. Pretty soon you realize you're in this metal coffin. The sub is consistently getting weaker and weaker. 
Maybe just risks shouldn't be taken. Maybe the consequences to our families are too great. I'm ready to descend when you are over. Exploration comes with risk, but it's a risk that's worth something. It's that need to see what's there beyond the edge of your lights, to see the unknown for yourself. It's the force that drives all exploration, curiosity. That is a trailer. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to introduce James Cameron and John Bruno. So now that I have both of you here, one of the questions that I have is when, when I looked at some of the research, it actually listed James as the actor and it listed John here as director. That's fine. He is the director of this. But I'm wondering, what is it like directing, if you will, the director? Is it much like when you hear, you know, doctors make the worst patients? How was he? Oh, okay. There we go. <laughs> uh, yeah. Directing Jim Cameron. Um, well, for me, it wasn't as daunting as you might think. Um, we, had, uh, we had been working together for more than 25 years. Had a very good working relationship. At least I think we did. And um, so I, I wasn't really, uh, that's what it wasn't, I, I wasn't worried about that. Uh, in fact, you know, I was very comfortable if I ever had a question or if I wanted to ask him to do something, uh, I would just ask. You know, uh, one day I knocked on his uh, uh, cabin door and I, I had, uh, there was a scene I wanted him to, I wanted to run by him. And he just said, you know, I have, uh, I'm, 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 I'm busy working on this uh, on my dive on the sub. Yeah. Um, if you want me to do something, just ask me and I'll do it. You're the director. <laughs> so at that point, I was kind of, okay, let's get on with it. <laughs> you know, hey, I was off duty, man, as a director. <laughs> oh, well, I, had a, I had a sub to build and dive. Well, you know, I was out there with, with these guys for part of their test dives. It was such an incredible experience. And one of the things that I noticed and learned about uh, James Cameron is that this has been a passion of his um, ever since he was a little boy. And when you, when you guys go and see this film, you'll see some of that. And I'm wondering, were you, um, that passion to me came through on the screen. Uh, Jim, why don't you tell us about your passion? You've been passionate about deep sea exploration. Everyone knows about you as a director. I'm not sure that they're aware that you've been passionate about this, this subject ever since you were a little boy. Yeah, and, and uh, you know, I mean, since I was a kid, and th this is going back to when dinosaurs ruled the earth, but, uh, you know, and Jacques Cousteau was exploring the oceans. I'm watching this on television, and I just was fascinated by it, and I became a, a scuba diver at the age of uh, 16, I think, which is not unusual today, but it was pretty darn unusual in those days, especially landlocked 400 miles from the ocean in, in uh, rural Canada. So uh, I, I just found a real affinity for being underwater. And John actually, he and I were talking about this when, when he came aboard the film, he said, well, why don't we show that? And so he scripted in and, uh, some scenes that were reenactments of me as a little kid doing stuff like I built a, an underwater habitat, put a mouse in it, lowered it down off a bridge into the, the river that ran through the middle of our town uh, in, in Chippewa, Ontario. And, uh, you know, that's the kind of stuff that I was doing as a kid. And it never really changed. I mean, I <clears throat> started making movies, and then that led to making The Abyss, which brought together my love of diving and my love of filmmaking. 
and then the abyss became the platform, stepping stone to doing actual deep ocean work, because the abyss, it was simulated in shallow water, but, you know, we were using ROVs and subs and all that stuff. And then I went to the next step on Titanic, which was doing it for real at depth. After that, I never looked back. I, I also want to point out that that mouse did survive. <laughs> mouse made it. M mouse made it. No animals were harmed in the, make, in the making of my life. You know, both of you have seen the film. I know, you know, these people out here haven't seen it yet, but when I looked at it, um, one of the things that I was thinking, it, it still, in some ways, didn't seem real to me. Um, it was midway through the film, as I was watching I finally got to a point where I said, yeah, I was there for a part of this. It now seems more real. I wonder from both of your perspectives, does it now seem real to you now that you've had some distance from this historic accomplishment? Uh, well, for me, when I first, uh, it, my first week on the ship when we're out at sea, um, it was just sort of uh, work-related, and I was just thinking, you know, this is a cool sub. It's Kawasaki Green. looks like a spaceship. Really, Very really good. bitchin'. How do we photograph it? Did you say bitchin'? I did. I'm okay. sorry. We're old guys. So, <laughs> okay. and, and I looked at this, and, and it didn't hit me till week two, because Jim would get in the sub, and it was so cramped in there. And uh, John Garvin would be handing him things, and I, went, I couldn't see, and I took my still camera, and I stuck it under John Garvin's armpit and I took a still I looked at it and it looked like the uh, Mercury program. About the same amount of room as a Mercury capsule yeah, inside. And I thought yeah. wait a minute. It hit me then. This is, this is a real deal. This is, uh, this, is, this is you know this is a spaceship but an inner spaceship. There's times when it strikes me as kind of surreal that we, that we managed to pull this off but then you know I also remember every iteration of a seven year project and what it took to make it happen and all the hardship that we went through to make it happen. And frankly, my butt's still sore from sitting. Yeah, I, I want to give people some stuff. perspective on that. I mean, how tall are you, Jim? I mean, I'm like, I don't know, five. Uh, almost 6'2". Yeah. All right, so 6'2". Yeah. Um, at one point in the film, his daughter actually, one of his younger daughters, she gets inside. You remember this? She gets inside the sub. She looks like a perfect fit. For Jim, he's literally sort of like this, and I, remember, and I remember when we were on board and I saw you climb in there and I thought to myself, how is he going to remain in that position for several hours sort of doing what he needs to do? But that, that was the reality. And then from the other perspective, you had to make sure that you had to be able to shoot that and get all of that and capture that as well. You mean the interior? Oh yeah. Uh, yeah, well, um, there wasn't much room. I mean, Jim had... <laughs> That is an understatement. It was, it was a room for a camera. <laughs> yeah. Camera I mean, had to be this big. And so there was a little camera that Jim had. Uh, that he was able to operate. GoPro. Yeah, there was a, there was a, it was kind of like, well, there was a GoPro in there, but we, I just used that to see what was outside the port when we were in launch and recovery. Then I pulled it out of the way. There was a red Epic camera shooting uh, uh, 5K raw files that was pointed out the, the front window to get the kind of the landscapes and see all the critters and stuff. And then there was a little 3D camera uh, uh, t uh, 1080p uh, camera in there that was pointed at me. It was about this far away. So when you, you see the movie, unfortunately, there's a, a lot of it is spent inside a 43-inch diameter sphere with a camera this far away from me. So that's maybe a little more information than most people want. But. And you talk about the movie. I want, I want to make sure that we show another clip from it as well so you can get more of an idea of what it was like inside that tight sphere. So let's roll that second clip that we've got as well. Okay, so you're on target now, on target now. Uh, wait one, I'm just gonna do final checks. Okay, final checks. Uh, Vision one, 18% O2. 
CO2 is 0.3%. Uh, uh, scrubber fan is running. Port B bus, the lowest bus at 87%. Looking good. Depth gauge is working, compass is working. Uh, wait one. Okay, ready for descent. Are you ready? Yeah, DC Charlie, whenever you're ready, uh, we'll initiate the launch. Okay, here we go. And release, release, release. I think my heart rate's up a little bit at the moment that I tell them to release the sub and I start the drop. But right away, there's so many things to do, establishing communications and all that. Surface, deep sea challenger, do you copy, over. Copy you, John, loud and clear. You have a good comms voice. Copy that. The skipper says it's like I'm talking to my grandma. Do you want a biscuit? <laughs> what? I mean, I remember when you said that, and we were listening as we were shooting, and I said, "What? What does he mean about the biscuit?" What? Well, we, we built a sub in Australia, so, so it's like that's something you would say to your grandmother if she was hard of hearing or maybe had a little, you know, dementia, you know. <laughs> Grandma, do you want a biscuit? And John's Australian. It's kind of an inside joke. Got it, got it. Do you remember that moment? Do you remember that? Oh, yeah. You've got you to gotta maintain a sense of humor, you know, when you're diving into the unknown. And, and especially a sense of humor when things aren't going as they should. And I, and I remember at one point when we were there, on a test dive, it was to, what, 25,000 feet, something like that. And um, we're standing up on the deck, and all of a sudden, we, we can't hear Jim. You know, there was something had gone uh, awry with the communications between you and the ship. And I remember I turned to my producer. My palms were getting sweaty. Um, Your because, palms yeah, are getting sweaty. <laughs> because I was worried, and, and I could see everyone sort of running around. Um, you guys want to talk about what happened during that moment? Yeah, it was, it was actually kind of a bad dive because uh, we were going to 27,000 feet was the target, so five miles down. And this was kind of a big test dive for us. The next one after that was going to be Challenger Deep in a different location. We were in the, the New Britain Trench off Papua New Guinea, and that's when Jason was out there with us. Um, and what had happened was I had said, you know, we really need to be recording all of the data that comes out of the, it was called the pack. That which was the sort of central computer, uh, uh, you know, onboard computer for the the serial control of all the subsystems, and and they had said, you know, we want to put everything through this uh, through this computer and have it control. It'll be the most efficient way to run the sub, and um, so and I had said the night before uh, to see if you can record the output data, and they had to go in and they had to make one little tiny. It was one line of code. One line of code that they changed, and it screwed the entire dive. Because what happened was the deeper I went, the more processing that the computer did, the more errors it began to make, and it, and it, it began to overload. And so first the comm system shut down at like 25,000 feet. And then at 26,000 feet, the thrusters, not only, they, not only did they shut off, they would then turn back on and run by themselves. So the sub's kind of running around, and I'm, I'm madly going through the menu trying to switch things off, and things just went from bad to worse until finally the entire sub, I had to shut everything down. So now I'm sitting there, and I aborted the descent. I'm sitting there at 27,000 feet. I'm only a few hundred feet from the bottom 
in pitch blackness, deeper than any other vehicle on the planet could possibly reach. And there was only one thing that was left functional, which was the life support system, actually two things, the life support system and one switch, which I had refused to let them put under the control of the pack processor. And that switch was how I dropped the weights to come back. And if, and if I hadn't raised a red flag early in the design of the sub that I didn't want the ballast control system, the weight release system running through the computer, I'd still be sitting down there someplace. Well, you know, from a director's uh, point of view, I mean, obviously that helps to build, you know, the tension, but you're also dealing with a friend. You're dealing with a man that you've known for so many years. I mean, what was that moment like for you? Well, uh, every, at the moment, every time we, we, we would launch, we would uh, break down the camera systems, run up to comms room, and wait for something to happen, you know. And, and, uh, well, something happened already. Well, at, at that point, uh, it, it, it's an, I don't know, I, I've been thinking about this. It's like, it was interesting to me that no one wanted to say anything. Um, we never really brought it up, and it's like, as, as my point, my, my, my job as the filmmaker was to follow the action no matter what happened, if it, you know, good or bad. And I kept thinking, nothing, it's not going to be bad, you know, in my head. So, uh, but at one point, I was worried at that. I mean, I'll say it now, but at the time, nobody was letting on or trying not to let on. There was, there was really a problem. But, um, yeah, it's a little bit stressful. And the crew was stressed, especially the guys that had built the sub and, were, and their job was to, to bring him back, um, which is John Garvin. And I think we have John Garvin on camera. He's a little bit nervous. I mean, I think, you know, look, a lot could be made of me being in there and what I was feeling going through and everything. But I think it's important to remember that the guys that designed and built the vehicle went to sea to operate it. And they were all up on the ship. So if we succeeded, they were there with that immediate rush of triumph. But if we had failed, they would have been the first to know and they would have felt the most responsible. For me, it if it had been an implosion, it would have been a cut to black. For them, they would have had to live with the consequences and they knew that every day. And I think it produced a lot of stress for them, but I think it also made them very, very good at their jobs. And, and we had a culture of safety that was, well, it was very, very high on the film because we had had a tragedy in the earliest days of the, of the, the project on the, the night we were supposed to leave on the expedition. We lost our uh, director and producer, uh, Andrew White, and who was a, a dear friend of mine and, and our underwater cameraman, Mike Degree, in a, in a helicopter crash. Uh, that had nothing to do with the, the sub or the ship or anything else. It happened over at an airfield, but it, it sort of put this dark pall over the whole, the whole production. And it was, it was hard to rebuild crew morale, but it also made us really, really rigorous about our process. I, I could tell when I was there how much everyone cared about what was going on, cared for you. Um, we were talking yesterday about risk, and this is one of the risks obviously involved in doing what you wanted to do. Um, I'm gonna mess this quote up, but Susie, uh, Jim's wife, gave it to me yesterday. She's sitting right here in the front row here. Um, Stand up, baby. <laughs> and um, I mean, she, I'm gonna mess this up, but I'll paraphrase, correct me, but it's something, um, there, when it comes to a challenge, if it's not fun, it's not a challenge. It was something, what was it, Susie? That's what it was, thank you. If it's not challenging, it's not fun. And so throughout 
all of this, um, what I did notice with the guys, the men, the women who were on board, um, I did notice this atmosphere. And looking at you, you were really like a kid in a candy store. When you got down there, fun. you know, looking at everything going on, I mean, was it like that for you when you were down there? Yeah, from the moment they bolt, they, they bolt the hatch shut. I can't get out of even if, even if I want to. Uh, from the moment they bolt it shut and we're going, I'm what the, what the astronauts used to call go fever. I've got go fever. I want to go down there and see what's there and explore. And when I get to the bottom, I just want to drive around and see what animals are there and see what geology is there. I'm trying to keep in mind what the scientists have briefed me on and what to look for. I'm not a scientist, but I understand what their, what their goals are, and so I have, to, I have to take samples and so on. But I, I just get really excited, you know, and the time just flies by. You know, five, six, seven hours on the bottom just, just flies by, and it never seems like enough time. Five, six, seven hours, I'm sure it felt like an eternity for Susie. But another point that we want to bring up is this was about science. I mean, it's a beautiful film. It's engaging. It's highly entertaining. But it's also about science. We're going to talk about that in just a quick moment. I do want to bring up another clip that we have because I want these guys to see more of the beauty of what you were able to capture. Vertical rate is uh, one point three knots. Time to shed some shot. Get some speed off here. Thirty-five thousand two hundred feet. Four hundred eighty-eight feet to go. Get everything on. Hundred. And number three. That's all lights facing down. Let's get the spotlight aim down. Altitude, 110 feet. 100 feet. 78. Should be seeing something pretty soon. I think um, John was really good at, at taking a moment that, um, I'm not giving anything away by telling you this, guys, but um, <clears throat> when you make that historic dive, uh, there is one moment where there is this look on your face of peace, to me it was, before you then start talking again. And I'm just wondering what it was like for you when you finally got to that historic point there at the bottom of the Mariana Trench. It was such a mix of emotions. On the one hand, I knew I wasn't going any deeper, so there wasn't going to be any more pressure on the sub. <laughs> so I'd made it, you know. There was, uh, so there's a sense of, of relief. There's a sense of accomplishment at the end of a seven-year project. Not just for myself, but for everybody that was in, involved, for Ron Allum, who was the co-designer of the vehicle, for all the engineers and all the testing and, and work that was done to create this this vehicle with a fairly small team, really less than 20 with, with a core group of the, uh, of the team. And just this, uh, this amazing sense that here I am at the, what could arguably be called the most remote place on the planet. You know, it's so remote that even in, in this age when we've got vehicles operating on the surface of Mars right now and, you know, hundreds of satellites and so on, that uh, uh, it's only been visited twice ever. And in fact, the place where I was was only visited by me. The other dive, 52 years earlier, was 34 miles to the, to the west. So they got to see their part of the Challenger Deep. I got to see my part. And, uh, you know, so there was this profound sense of how vast the ocean is and, by extension, how vast 
the darkness is, the darkness of, of our ignorance, you know, and, that, and, that, and that's what science does. It shines the light into the darkness. And John, I know you got the ending that you needed, that everyone who had worked so hard for so many years had been wanting. I mean, his return? <laughs> oh, oh, that. I mean, I mean both. Not just, not just the historic dive, but his safe return, of course, as well. Yeah, that was, um, uh, that was complicated, too. We had a helicopter out there. I, I guess they brought to you flags. They brought the flag, which is cool. Um, the Explorer flag yep. that had been uh, to the top of Mount Everest. Oh. And then Jim took it to the bottom of the Challenger Deep. So there is an, we have an image of that on the film where uh, Don Walsh, who, who also made the dive 52 years ago, uh, the they held the flag. Thing. So, yeah, that, that moment... Uh, you know, it's really interesting about that. To me, the, the, we had a couple of ships around us, and the horn started blowing. And that sound, I'll never forget that sound. Um, it just... It was our ship. There was another ship that was there to support the scientists called the Barracuda. And then there was uh, Paul's expedition ship called oh. Octopus. And they all just started... It was, it was kind of like one of these things in, in uh, the harbor here in New York when the tugs come out and pump the water and you hear all the horns. It, re it felt so celebratory. And the whole, you could just see the relief in the face and the, the sense of, you know, because they're, they're engineers. They're not demonstrative, you know, emotionally necessarily. And all of a sudden there was just this outpouring of, of, of you know, joy and relief that their numbers had been right that their you know, hydrodynamic simulations and their FEA analysis and everything had been right. He's getting techie on you, but what, what You don't like tech, right? Nobody here likes tech? Well, here they might like, yeah. But, but one of the other points that, that we really should raise is the science behind what you did and some of the remarkable discoveries that were made as a result of this expedition. I mean, new species being discovered because of what you guys were able to do. Well, I think it's important to remember that the film helped fund the expedition. So John's work, in a way, fed directly to the science. The National Geographic supporting the, the project with the film budget led directly to, to the science outcome. Uh, 68 new species. Uh, I'd have been shocked if we hadn't found new species. Every time you go into the, into the deep ocean, you go a place nobody's been before, you're going to find new species. It's almost, it's almost a given. One of the scientists with us, Kevin Hand, was from the Jet Propulsion Laboratory. He was like, what's this space guy doing looking at the deep ocean? Well, what Kevin's doing is he's simulating the ocean of Europa, and he's examining the deepest places in the hydrothermal vents and so on in our oceans, looking at ways that life can survive without sunlight. There's no sunlight in the oceans of Europa because it's covered by ice. So where is the energy coming from? Well, it can come from a hydrothermal vent. But if you're down at the, in these deep trenches, you don't have hydrothermal vents, not in a classic sense. But there's another hypothesis that the energy for life, for microbial life, could come from a process called serpentinization, part of the geology of what's going on in these subduction zones. We looked for that and we found it. We found the deepest bacterial mats ever discovered by a factor of two, twice as deep as the, as the, the next pre previously seen bacterial mats. Why is that important? Well, if you've got a stable source of energy over hundreds of millions or even billions of years down in a stable environment at the bottom of the ocean, that might be the place that life originally emerged on this planet. We may all be the uh, essentially the outcome of a process that began at that deepest spot. So to me, that's fascinating, and we've brought back evidence to support that hypothesis. 
Europa, again, one of Jupiter's moons, everyone looking up in terms of space exploration. Uh, Jim getting everyone to look down as well to the bottom of our oceans for exploration as well. Want to open it up to some Q&A from those of you out there. If you have questions for John or James, I keep calling him Jim, but you get the idea. Hi, my name's Karina. I'm a student filmmaker, and I wanted to ask, I've seen throughout all of your films and now this, um, you have a lot of personal stuff. Like, I see Titanic, it has, it's everything water, and Avatar, it's water. And on The Abyss, which you actually asked my question, was... Um, so we're done, moving on. <laughs> no, 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 no. I see that you put a lot of personal life into your films. And I just wanted to see what advice would you have for me? Well, John's here as the filmmaker. I'm just the on-camera talent. But I think you were talking to me because you met, although John was on the abyss with me as well. So either one of us. But, but um, uh, yeah, look, I mean, you, you, as a filmmaker, you're an artist. Artists can only respond from their own experience, their own life experience. I think there's, there, there's a kind of cinematic art that's entirely referential to other cinema. I'm not interested in that. And there's a kind of, uh, of cinema that basically is, a, I think, a purer form. And it can be highly commercial. It's not about whether it's commercial or independent. It's about, is it coming from a place of personal interest and passion? So you have to have lived life. If you just bury your head looking at movies and studying movies all the time and you don't live life, you've got nothing to say. You know, I'm not saying that you don't study film and you don't learn the craft, and you don't learn the legacy of all the film that's gone before you. But you can't make movies about movies. You gotta make movies about you and your life experience. That's, I think, the most important thing. Hi, how are you, sir? Uh, this is the question for Mr. Cameron. Um, this expedition, seeing what you see down there, what element do you think that incorporate those things into your Avatar sequel? for this expedition. Ah. <laughs> right, okay, so here's, here's the thing. We spent all these millions of dollars to, to go to the most difficult remote place on the world just so I could make Avatar 2 better. <laughs> Instead of making Avatar 2. I don't buy that theory. And now a lot of people have tried to connect those dots. It's a natural thing, but it's actually backwards. I make Hollywood movies to pay for exploration, okay? Making Avatar 2, 3, and 4, that's gonna give us exploration. Thank you. James, obviously you're very passionate about science. When you visited the Titanic, how much emphasis did you take to notice the sea life around you? Um, or did you just wanna say, hey, I'm going straight to the Titanic and that's my goal? It was very goal-focused because we were interested in the history and the archaeology. But you have to understand biologically what's happening at and around the Titanic to understand the, ti the Titanic wreck. And when you see those long things that look like stalactites, those are actually uh, the, the bacterial byproducts from the bacteria that are eating the wreck. And there are some very interesting life forms that have colonized the wreck, and we especially found that out when we explored the inside with our little robotic vehicles. So it's actually quite a fascinating sight. The other thing is there's a relationship between the Titanic and the Challenger Deep. They're both very interesting sites that aren't necessarily the most interesting science sites. If you have interesting science sites, there are going to be certain geological features, hydrothermal vents, things like that. Titanic just sank randomly on a, on a flat 
plane. Not particularly interesting from a science perspective, but an awful lot of diving has taken place there. So it happens to be one of the most well-described pieces of water column anywhere in the world now, because when the Russians go out there to support our archaeological dives, they're also trawling back and forth when, when we don't have the subs in the water. They're taking water column samples with a CTD sampler that they lower down to the bottom and bring back up and all that sort of thing. So there's actually been a lot of science papers published by the Russians especially, but also by Woods Hole Oceanographic Institution because they've been out there a lot. It happens to be like, you know, very well described. Now in the same way that Mount Everest is a heavily traveled mountain summit, but not particularly interesting from a science perspective. It's the same with the Challenger Deep. I happen to think the Challenger Deep is important scientifically, but it's been dived because it's the deepest spot. We went there because if we can show that our vehicle can go to the deepest spot in the world's oceans, it can go by definition to any other spot in the world's oceans. We're then open for business. We can explore any trench anywhere, anytime. Um, so that was important to go there. Was it particularly compelling as a science subject? I didn't think so going in, but the, uh, but the scientists said, no, 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 we can learn a lot here. Any sample you bring back is going to be like a moon rock, and we're going to publish for years. Just get us anything. Get us anything. And that, that, that turned out to be the case. A rock that was brought back, not on our expedition, but on our previous one, but that got analyzed as part of the science that we supported with Rolex's help and so on, that rock proved that the plate that's going in underneath, um, that's forming the, the depth of the trench, is actually a different plate than they thought it was. It's not part of the Pacific plate to the, to the, uh, just to the east. It's a, a completely separate plate. One rock rewrote the book on, on what's happening there in subduction. I kind of jumped off a bit, but, but I, I'm, in, I'm into this, you can tell. <laughs> I can also tell you there was a marine, marine biologist who was on board. I cannot remember his name for the life of me, but man, he Doug was... Doug Bartlett. That's it, man. Doug was very excited, I will just tell you, about every living thing they were able to bring up, at least from uh, Deep Sea Challenge. So uh, a lot of excited scientists who were on board. Hello. My name is Adriana Perugini, and I'm a huge Titanic fan. And I'm shaking because I love you so much. But... Um, <laughs> Um, what was it like with your diving down to the Titanic wreck and being near the great ship versus the dive down to the trench? How was it similar? How was it different? Well, the first uh, expedition that I ever did diving really deep was to Titanic in 1995. I subsequently went out there on two more expeditions, and then we went deeper. We went to the, to the Bismarck, which is 16,000 feet. So Titanic is 12,400 feet down, you know, about two and a half miles. And at the time that I first went there and started to work there, the, the technology required to work at that depth was so extreme and it just, felt like, it just felt like I was in the most remote place on the planet. Now, cut to a few years later and I'm diving into the Challenger Deep and I, I went past 12,000 feet in the first I don't know, first few minutes, first 20 or so minutes. And because the sub's really going fast when it first leaves the surface. And I felt like I was still in shallow water. As I, was, I still had three times that far. I mean, I still had twice that far to go. The, the depth of, of the Challenger Deep is three times the depth of Titanic. So it shows how your perspective changes. And what I found was that the technology that we had to build to get to the, to the full ocean depth was 
that much more difficult to do, that it stressed all the materials right to the limit. You know, steel was right at the limit of failing, and the, and the flotation that we used was right almost at the limit of not working anymore. So it was much, much more difficult. Hello, Mr. Cameron. Um, I just first want to say I think your work is uh, totally brilliant and phenomenal. Thank you. Um, a quick question for both of you. The 3D technology used on this film, is it comparable to what was used on Avatar, the particular camera you had built for that? John, you want to? The, um, the, the cameras, uh, I guess they're, uh, the Cameron Pace Group had, mo had basically made these cameras. They were a little smaller. The, the red cameras were not used on uh, Titan. Uh, Excuse me, on Avatar, um, I don't think. Well, the rig was almost the, the identical. Rig, the cam See, the thing is, we call them rigs because it's basically two cameras put together to create 3D. So we were using, uh, John was shooting with red cameras. M my company with Vince Pace supplied the camera systems to the, to the expedition. So I, you know, I also know what they were. For the stuff shot in the sub and on the bottom, that was a brand new camera that was built by our engineers, brand new, uh, right from the sensor board up, because we needed something tiny that would fit inside this little tiny sphere with me or that could go outside inside a camera housing. Those cameras were an order of magnitude smaller than anything that we had worked with before. How long did it take to build this up? Uh, it took seven years total. We started in, in September of 2005 with just two or three people working on it, and that was in uh, Australia. We, made, we did the main part of the construction in Australia, we built part of the sub uh, in, uh, in California, and then we flew it over and we bolted it together just a couple of weeks before we took it out and dove it. So about a third of the sub was built in California and two thirds of it was built in, uh, in Australia. Most of the time, most of the seven years was designing and then building the sphere. Because the sphere had to resist the pressure. That's what kept me safe. So if the sphere didn't work, there was no point building the rest of it. So while I was finishing the movie Avatar in September and October of 2009, we were testing that sphere in a pressure chamber where we, we put the same amount of pressure on it that it would, ex it, would, it would feel when it went down to the bottom of the ocean. Thanks for that question. I also just want to give um, Jim and John just a quick moment just to have any sort of closing thoughts that they had about their experience, about the film. Um, I, I just have to say, you know, uh, doing this film is a once in a lifetime, well, going on the expedition was a once in a lifetime experience that couldn't be missed no matter what the outcome, sorry. But... Um, Would have made more money <laughs> if, if the sub had failed. But... Uh, and going to a place like Papua New Guinea was always my favorite, like a want to do yeah. thing. On your but bucket list. On my bucket list. So, uh, but other than that, it was just such a great thing to be involved with Jim and involved in this achievement in actually science. Um, and um, it was just a wonderful, a wonderful thing. And, and to have the film be so well received is, is just sort of, you know, icing on a cake. I'm really proud of the film. Uh, I think John did a spectacular job, and uh, uh, I'm proud of it because it was Andrew's dream to make this film, Andrew White, uh, who was my producing partner and, and so on on the documentary films, and we did six expeditions together. Uh, we shared the dream of, of building this sub and diving it, and John had to, had to complete the work, but I think Andrew would have been 
really proud of the film. And you know, it was the adventure of a lifetime. It was the the the, the project was the end result of of eight exp of seven prior expeditions and a lot of uh, engineering development. And so I'm also incredibly proud of the of the team that I worked with that built the sub and took it out into the hostile environment of the open ocean and dove it and uh, kept me alive and, uh, so, and, and brought the sub back and brought the science back, brought me back safely. So we couldn't ask for, for a better outcome. My only regret is that Andrew's not here to share in it. Well, I have to say it was an honor to be a part of the whole team, National Geographic. I want to point out that the film opens this Friday, August 8th. So I hope you guys rush out and see it. Also, since you're here in the Apple Store, there's also an app that you guys have developed or that Apple's put together along with National Geographic. There's a copy of it right there. You can see Deep Sea Challenge, the app. You can go on there and check it out and see how things work. But for now, let's give these two men a round of applause. Thank you. Thank you very much.